When we reach one degree warming, in addition to where we are right now, we're going to see irreversible changes to the Earth. Um, so a lot of and many parts of the world will become basically uninhabitable because of how hot they are, and and, and you know the the effect on agricultural land, the effect on people living there. Um, but we'll also see extreme extreme amounts of poverty and hunger and climate displacement, unemployment, loss of livelihoods, and a competition for resources, um, which I think would just change. I mean, we already have that, but the extent to which we would have that then, I think, is something that we've never seen before. Um, so it really is a climate emergency. Hello and welcome. I'm Shiza, your host of Reinvision Business and co-founder of UpEffects. If you're new to our work, over the last five years, we've loved amplifying and supporting business models that prioritize equity, conservation, and economic empowerment. We're now advancing this work through our Reinvision Business podcast. This series will highlight the emerging need for responsible trade that uplifts communities frequently left behind. In each episode, we'll invite thought leaders to deconstruct our current systems, and with their help, we'll spotlight models that are re-envisioning business. Together, we'll unearth a blueprint for an economy redesign. Last month's IPCC report stunned most of the world, highlighting that human influence has warmed the climate at a rate that is unprecedented in at least the last 2,000 years. Prepared by 234 scientists from 66 countries, the report warned that some of the changes such as continued sea level rise are already irreversible for centuries to millennia. The IPCC scientists warn global warming of 2 degrees Celsius will be exceeded during the 21st century. The actors responsible for climate change are not ordinary individuals like me or you. It's corporations. It's businesses that have always increased their bottom line at the expense of our people and planet. And if we want to save our planet, we need to step up our efforts in forcing businesses to change the way in which they currently operate. One company that is amplifying alternatives to unsustainable products is a new enterprise called Earth. With decades of ethical fashion, sustainable practices, international development, gender and climate justice work, and entrepreneurship education under their belt, Shanza, Khadija, and Zinia have come together to build an online marketplace for ethical products by culturally diverse brands. They're making it easier and more affordable to shop in line with one's values, whilst discovering incredible brands championing knowledge and heritage of sustainability. In this conversation, we discuss the severity of our climate emergency, the importance of reviving cultural practices, and spotlighting culturally diverse brands that have always been at the forefront of the sustainability movement. Welcome to Reinvision Business. <laughs> I'm so, so excited for today's conversation. I've been following art since its very early days and have just really learned such a huge amount about the sustainability movements and in particular with regards to the importance and the role of culturally diverse brands within this space. Um, this is something that I've been passionate about for a very long time and I'm just so thrilled to see someone bring an idea like this to life and do such an incredible job of building a community around a concept that really should have existed several years ago. And I am really looking forward to um, hearing more about um, the work that each of you are engaged in and how you're building art. 
as I like to do with a lot of the guests that come on Reinvision Business, I'd love for you to introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about the work that you've been engaged in prior to building ART. Hi, um, thank you for having us. We're very excited to talk to you about ART. Um, before ART, I was working in a university, so I was helping develop entrepreneurs and businesses, so very much working in the startup field. I also have a design background, so I also have my own design company, so I was doing that on the side as well as in education full-time, and um, now I'm working on ARD with Shamsa and Zinia. Yeah, thank you so much um, for having us, Shiza. Um, I've been following the Vision podcast as well and absolutely love all of the episodes so far. Uh, before our, I was working in international development, actually. I was uh, consulting for different organizations on gender and climate justice issues. Um, I've also been consulting for a few charities around building more sustainable ways of doing business, working with refugees around the world. Um, and when Arud came up, it was just the perfect moment for me and for all of us as well, I think. So hi, I'm Zinia, um, and um, before art, I was um, an ethical fashion designer, um, and then after that, I was helping businesses um, become more sustainable. Um, so I've been helping like independent brands, freelancing, um, helping them with their businesses, how they can become sustainable, how they can incorporate um, ethical policies, um, how they can work with brands. So introducing them with um, other the fashion designers around the world or textiles they can work with companies that are ethical that I've worked with in the last 20 years and um, and then Ard came along because I felt there was a gap in the market I felt like there needed to be a platform where small businesses got that support um, that they haven't had especially sustainable businesses um, and especially diverse businesses and so um this is why we created Ard. We just and um, we came together, the three of us. That's really wonderful. I feel like each of you brings such a diverse skill set to to the work that you're doing, but also there's a big crossover in terms of the values. So just focusing on the sustainability side of Ard, given that that is a driving force behind the work that you do and an integral part of the business model itself. So we're seeing, you know, wildfires, um, you know, t- um, taking place across the world. Um, we're seeing that in Turkey. We're seeing that in Australia. We're seeing that in the US. We're seeing record-breaking temperatures across the world, um, heat waves and prolonged seasons. The threat of climate change is not something that's in the distant future. It's very real and it's something that's happening today. And each of us is experiencing the effects of it. Um, and it's only going to get worse um, based on what researchers and scientific scientists are um, saying. Can you help our listeners understand why it's a climate emergency and what the impact will be a few years from today? So I think it's safe to say that it's the greatest emergency of our time. Um, We're in an immense time of crisis. And if you think about it in the sense where our climate sustains us all, right, the life on our planet and and us as well. So if we want to be a bit narcissistic about it, actually, it's also a human emergency because our own survival is at risk. Um, And 
And so to put things into context, just to go back a little bit, in the last 150 years, we've warmed the earth to such an extent that we've actually reversed 6,000 years worth of the earth's natural cooling. And that's just kind of the industrial period that we had. Um, and in 2019, we saw the end of the warmest decade that we have on record, right? So because we live in an ecosystem in which it's so interconnected, even the smallest changes in temperature can make such big, um, can have such big impacts and consequences of us. A lot of what you've mentioned is already happening and we're already seeing that. Um, but in addition to that, I just wanted to mention that, of course, we're also seeing the greatest amount of forcibly displaced people in the world today. And a third of those are obvious climate refugees. Um, we're seeing more conflicts due to the due to you know resource scarcities. We're seeing loss of livelihoods, economic shocks, and the list just really goes on. And these realities in turn kind of lead to more gender injustices. And this is me bringing kind of interconnecting this with my other work that I do, because I see this overlap a lot. Um, and the breakdown of communities and an increase in people suffering from physical and mental health problems. So I think the, the effects of climate change are really obvious today. But the reason why it's a climate emergency, I think, is because we literally have a really small, small window in which we can act to prevent a much bigger catastrophe. So at the moment, it's predicted that in the next three to four years, so before 2025, we might actually see the warmest year that we have on record reaching 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial recorded temperatures, which is the lower kind of target at the par at the Paris Agreement that we had. Um, so that means we're already reaching that potentially um, in, in one of these years to come, which is which is pretty huge. Um, and it just goes to show that if we don't change the way that we're heading right now, we're going to reach one degree a lot, a lot sooner. Um, and when we reach one degree warming, in addition to where we are right now, we're going to see irreversible changes to the earth. Um, so a lot of uh, many parts of the world will become basically uninhabitable because of how hot they are. And, and, and you know, the, the effect on agricultural land, the effect on people living there. Um, but we'll also see extreme, extreme amounts of poverty and hunger and climate displacement, unemployment, loss of livelihoods and a competition for resources, um, which I think would just change. I mean, we already have that, but the extent to which we would have that then, I think, is something that we've never seen before. Um, so it really is a climate emergency, but I think it's important to also remember that right now we still have the chance to prevent that from happening. We can change the way that we live uh, on our planet. We can create a more compassionate, more sustainable way of of living with 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 the Earth that we inhabit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no doubt we're living through a climate emergency and there's so much that needs to change for us to actually reverse the damage that so many of us have contributed to. But mainly when we look at how corporations and our economy functions, it's perpetuated so many of the problems that you've just highlighted. And so a key way to actually reverse that will be through the means of business and through the way we engage and put put out services and offerings that change um, the way we utilize products and utilize our resources that are currently very much um, limited because of how um, those resources are being distributed amongst communities. Um, you've clearly indicated that there is a big need for this work. 
I'm really curious to hear what helped advance that mindset from I'm really disturbed by what is happening to we now need to build a business to solve this. What was that defining moment for each of you? I think for me personally, um, like with when it comes to climate change, it's something that I personally have been working on for the last 20 years. Um, I think it was when I was 18 when I first went to university and I was like looking at even plastic pollution and I was thinking of ways, how could I turn this plastic into fabric? Um, uh, is there any way that we can use the waste that we already have in our houses, how we can reuse that in some other way, in some other, some other form? Um, so it's been a long journey for me personally. Um, but when... Um, so that was one of the big like I also I also I would say my faith I think the stronger my faith got um like all the ethics um and how Islam talks a lot about sustainability and so when I started ethical when I started fashion actually it actually put me off fashion fast fashion um because it didn't go with my values and then that's when I decided to change my path and my career to a more ethical and sustainable um lifestyle um, um, and um, so I've been on this journey from that, from right from the beginning. Yeah, I think Zinnia's twenty years worth of experience working in this area was one of the driving forces for us as well. Because we've known Zinnia for a really long time, we've all worked in the climate movement together. We've seen a lot of the we we know what the problems are, you know. And we worked on campaigns, um, but in a kind of an in like a non. Uh, in more of a campaign context with with charities, let's say. So I think from transitioning from that into a business, when we when the three of us came together, we were very very um, I think resolute. We knew we wanted it to be a business, and there's a few reasons for that. Um, one of the reasons being that we know that there's a need for education, but there is a need to change the way that business practices. Um, the way that businesses currently practice. And, and I think being from a culturally diverse background, the three of us, um, we were aware of the fact that there, the ethical space is becoming a lot bigger. It's, um, it is growing, but the culturally diverse s- segment of that space is, is not growing in that same way. And, and because of the lack of support that they get, perhaps or also because of the fact that you know a lot of us ha- don't have those networks or that kind of access to capital that maybe a lot of other businesses do so for us it was about connecting the dots and and figuring out how do we have an impact in this space that not only does something positive for climate justice but also challenges and improves the current way we're offering solutions in this space. And for us, that was diversifying the space, bringing more voices into it, making it more authentic, but also tapping into the lost heritage and the lost knowledge of our communities in fighting climate justice, in sustaining our earth. Because that's something that we've, we've, we'd always had up until arguably we were colonized and a lot of that knowledge was lost. A lot of those skills were lost. Um, and so this business for us was about, was as much about reviving those as it was about saying, Hey, let's, let's create a better way of doing business. Um, let's support other businesses to do the same. Um, and let's make something that's, that that's a legacy for us and a legacy for our communities in particular as well. So that our, our children and, and their children have, 
you know, those building blocks in place, they have that knowledge, that skill, and they're able to create better solutions that we can even imagine right now. I think, you know, growing up, I always had a love of nature that I think my parents instilled in me, like David Attenborough is probably like the seventh member of our family. So you always grow up seeing wildlife and the natural world. And even when you visit back home, you kind of see that simple living and that love of agriculture and how, you know, it's just so pure, you know, kind of farm to plate kind of living. But, um, you know, as you grow older, you realise, you know, we live in a city, for example, we're so disconnected through the kind of supermarket lifestyle and even now through Amazon that we forget about that process. And I think just looking about the fast pace that we live in now and how that culture is, and even looking at our own culture, I think um, Asian culture, a lot of it is very wasteful in terms of even just food, you know, more is more, you know, food is love, so people cook abundance of food but then a lot of it gets wasted if you look at our events they're very extravagant um, from the decor to all the tidbits and favors and there's just so much plastic you know plastic is everywhere and even we're seeing how like Eid has become a really big holiday which is great and now we're seeing things with like Eid balloons and banners and things that we could never buy before and so definitely there's an excitement around that but then this is all a lot of single use stuff for very small short-term use so I think what's great about art is, and also through a lot of businesses that we've um, discovered um, from doing research, is that there is um, a need to want us to do better and provide a better alternative. So yes, you can obviously have those celebrations and enjoy that, but know that, you know, you know, like they say, like a puppies for life or for Christmas, you know, we don't want to buy things just for the sake of, you know, the Instagram picture and showing how everybody's, you know, having a great time. But then, you know, also, as Zinni was saying, with our faith, we need to be, you know, accountable for everything we use. You know, there is a hadith that says, um, you know, don't waste water even at the bank of a river. And a river is so abundant and that flow is never going to stop. But it makes you realise it's still not a place where you should waste that water. And I think um, for a lot of us, it's kind of going back to that prophetic tradition and minimalism and knowing that we can live with less. But the culture that we're brought up with in capitalism it's all about buying more and being a consumer in fast fashion and I think there's always going to be that trap and that struggle so even now with big brands like ASOS and all these other companies who do modest lines we get excited so we want to keep buying but we probably have more head scars than we can ever get through you know and um you know with our profit please be on him um we would he would name all his possessions so that just shows you how much he valued what he had and the relationship he had with those. And a lot of us have, you know, trainer collections, handbag collections, whatever it is that we're into, collections larger than probably all his possessions combined. So it just shows that we live in a time of abundance, but it doesn't mean that we need to kind of follow through with that. And I think the older you get, once you create your own value system and see and shun those trends, um, it does help you kind of stand firm in yourself. Um, so even going back to our culture, you can't leave someone's house without leaving a plastic box of food, <laughs> you know. So even if we reuse that Tupperware to the end of time, that thing will never decompose. So we should just be more considerate about, you know, what we already have in our day to day, and then how we can make those small changes to make our life more sustainable. Um, and I think the great thing about Ard is we also look at it as an education platform. To have those conversations go this is never going to change you know your auntie's going to feed you until you roll out of the house but you should also say to it's fine I've bought my own container or something or 
you know, those small things to just kind of educate them as well, because every small act does add up. So individually, we feel like, what is the point of recycling? What is the point of doing these things? But collectively, it does have an impact. And if anything, we need to at least hold ourselves to account. So it doesn't matter about the status quo. And if you feel like you're a lonely person in a very, you know, consumerist world, you do what makes you feel comfortable. I love that. Thank you. And um, Zinnia, I just want to come back to you because I know you wanted to add to your previous answer. And I also wanted to add was one of the other reasons um, that, you know, you were saying defining points was um, where we started odd um, was also that um, a lot of the businesses that I helped um, become sustainable and um, independent brands, I felt that COVID uh, really affected these businesses and they weren't getting the support, especially cultural diverse brands. Um, And this is something that really upset me and I was, we were like, we need to create this platform where we really push these brands because they weren't getting the kind of supports that other brands would um, had during the COVID period and um, and the fact that 70% of brands had to close down because they couldn't get because they couldn't get access to even reading like English wasn't their first language or they couldn't get grants or they didn't understand who to connect or they didn't have the networks so um, this is another reason I would say really helped us define our that we have to create this platform for these kind of sustainable, amazing, I would call them heroes, hero businesses that are doing amazing work with these villages and these communities um, that we need to shout about their story and we need to bring their stories to here, to our market, to say, hey, look look at these brands. Um, you don't have to shop at Amazon or these high streets. We've got these brands right here and you don't know about them, but we're collectively bringing their stories to our platform and you can shop with them and support these businesses. Just, I mean, there's so much to unpack there in terms of just how COVID has impacted how businesses are operating, um, how as communities we use single-use plastics, aren't dependent on that as a cultural practice, um, and then just reviving um, cultural heritage and culturally diverse brands. I think this is a nice segue to talk a little bit about how art as a business and as a concept seeks to address some of these challenges that you've highlighted can you please help us understand what what is earth and what can we see from earth in terms of you know the some of these problems that exist across the world um, that you hope to solve um, through through the business itself? Sure. Um, so so the word earth, um, as a lot of people might know, in Arabic from Arabic translates as earth, land, or soil. And we we deliberately picked Ard because we felt that the breadth of meaning that this word encompasses um, and the way that it's used in Arabic is is so holistic. And that's reflective of the kind of solutions that we wanted to propose um, as, as a platform that champions or seeks to champion more ethical and sustainable brands and the way that they think. Um, so Arid in one sentence is an online marketplace for cu- for ethical products by culturally diverse brands. Um, but in addition to being a marketplace, we're hoping to actually build a community around what it means to live ethically as a culturally diverse people and communities today. To in doing that also reconnect with the heritage 
of many of our families and ancestors who sustained and preserved the land, as I was saying earlier, um, that they consumed for the land that they consumed for future generations. And, 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 you know, the skills that they themselves had in sustainable methods and ways of producing important materials and goods um, that, we're, that we're now trying to access and revive today. Um, but at the core, I think it's about reconnecting with a, with a sustainable consumer mindset. Um, and that's what we're really trying to build that's led by ethical values. So it's not just about environmental justice to us, as Arid, it's about social justice as well. It's about creating a platform that is encompassing of all the different um, injustices that we're seeking to correct. So, for example, we could look at Palestine. We could look at um, trade justice, whether it's in Palestine or whether it's with uh, what's happening in China with the Uyghur Muslims. Um, and, and those are issues that are very political and often not in, not included as well in the ethical space um but that's something that we want to see change and we know that as culturally diverse communities we really connect with that because many of us have our roots um in different places around the world so for the platform itself we want people to come to our to shop from discover and support culturally diverse ethical brands as zinia was saying earlier they're absolute heroes and they just need to be put out there and, and people will fall in love. And we know that. Um, we also want people to learn about the existing, like the exciting sustainability work that culturally diverse people are doing um, in the UK, but also around the world. Uh, we want to be giving tips around how to live more sustainably on a day-to-day basis, because we know that, that those individual actions make such a big impact. Um, and and, and making that accessible to people is really important for us. Um, but finally, our hope, our kind of one of the final hopes for Arid is for it to be a place where people can come together on this journey, um, find each other, collaborate, innovate, and together rebuild a more just and equitable world. I absolutely love that. And I can't wait for the marketplace to go live. Um, I guess two questions come to mind just bit while you were describing what art does and what you hope to offer to the communities that you're working with. I, my first question is, like you mentioned, a lot of the ethics of a business are rooted in or complicated by the, the political nature of some of the issues that we're trying to solve as culturally diverse brands. How does one begin to define ethical? Because it comes in so many different shapes and forms when you look in the sustainability movements. Um, to some, it could mean um, just eliminating single-use plastic and not looking at creating fair and living wage jobs for the people that are making those products. Um, for others, it could mean creating living wage jobs, but then not looking beyond the deeper economic impacts um, and the wider community impact of the way those jobs are being created and the way those businesses are operating within those communities um, and how they're perpetuating so much violence um, within those countries or you know w- within those communities themselves. So I'm just curious to hear how does one begin to define an ethical um, brand? Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> that's a qu- <laughs> so um, I think that's a question depending on your own values. Um, and this is why I'm, I cr- basically I created a policy and um, the way people will come to art is you shop depending on what you think, uh, uh, what means to you, what values to me. So for some people, like you just said, 
plastic pollution might be the most important value to them. And to them, that's what they consider ethical. Because um, when it comes to this kind of movement, it really depends on your it depends on your finances. It depends on your how your lifestyle is, um, your personal political views. Um, so those kind of help you define what you see as ethical. Um, this is why when we create, when we will create art, um, we'll let the consumer um, be able to buy under their values. So whether it's if they feel like social injustice is important to them and they see as that is the most important and number one, then they can look at brands. And that's how we've built our business. So it's around the consumer, around their values and what they see sustainability as, and then they can shop around that. Um, my advice to other businesses and uh, finding sustainable, what is sustainability is um, I think it's hard because we don't have one definition for everybody. And and at the moment, there is a lot of greenwashing. A lot of companies are wanting to get their statistics or trying to plant trees and um, trying to combat um, carbon footprint. But they're not actually doing deeper research because everything connects. Um, even recently, we've been looking into planting trees and we're, we're still not sure whether we should do that because we've recently found out that it actually affects the food system um it affects the community because if we go around just planting trees and what about the land for people who need to grow food um so you ha- i think every company has to be responsible and really look at their policies and really look at um how everything from even running their website to their packaging to how um uh, where they source their products, um, really looking at everything and how best they can do that sustainable and also being honest. I think that's another thing. It's hard. No one can be 100%. And I think most brands should be just transparent. Look, we're trying. Um, but we're not at the bet. We're not 100% there, but we're on this journey together. And I think, I think as long as businesses are honest and they're uh, transparent, then, um, then consumers will want to support those kind of brands. And, and champion them but I think that in, in in that there's also something really exciting which is that it's it's less so about the meeting the specifics of something because I think every context is so different what's sustainable in one context might not be sustainable in another context um, and so I feel like at its core it's about it's about systems change it's about changing the values that drive business it's about putting people and planet at the core of your business rather than profit right um and and building from there up and that could and i think that that could lead to so much innovation um that people could create so many new ways businesses could create so many new ways of of being ethical and sustainable which would just enrich the definition and and how we how we pursue this um so for us as a marketplace we're starting at at very basic level where we're just identifying what already exists and we're giving people the option to shop via those values but we also expect and we hope that through doing this we'll also grow and be able to provide a lot more information to people on what being ethical could mean for them in their context today just to add to that so a lot of people might say well there are a lot of um well, not too many, but there are a few places where you can shop based on values. You know, they have those filters, for example, it's plastic free or it's vegan or it's uh, cruelty free examples. Um, but 
with ARD, our value system is a lot more, uh, I'd say, intensive. We have a lot more uh, scope in there going from the human element to the animal element as well as the environmental impact. And I think um, that definitely makes things a lot harder for ourselves. But I think it also adds that extra level of um, assurance and transparency that we're speaking about. And it allows people to connect in a way that they can't with other you know, ethical stores. So they might say, this is great and this is great, but I also want to be able to support a woman-owned business, for example. I do want to buy a black-owned um, hair care brand. You know, so those kind of things is what's going to allow the consumers who have felt kind of shut out in the past because there isn't that much detail when you trawl for a website, especially with a bigger site which has like a directory or multiple brands. There's only going to be so much unless you go to that individual's brand, but people don't do that much digging really because, again, it's back to convenience. So I think this will actually be something that a lot of our customers will appreciate. And when we did our pilot with our RFE boxes, we put in a lot of information about these different things. And I think people were kind of shocked. They're like, I've never seen something that is either, you know, conflict free or that is, you know, supporting minority owned brands. And those are things that they really, I think, um, resonated with. And then a lot of the brands that we put in our box saw, you know, a lot of interest as well because they um, talk quite openly about their story and that's also something we promote already on our page so we talk about the business and we also talk about the owner and I think people will either connect with one or the other but there's always going to be um, a clear you know synergy through those and I think that's what's really nice for people to be able to connect on that human level and you know we know that's huge right now in, in the marketing world about showing face and seeing behind the brand and there are so many hashtags like meet the maker and all those kind of things and I think for so long, um, sometimes people have hidden their identity for fear of whether it will be a success or it will not be a success based on who is behind that. And I think it's nice to see people now taking that limelight and being okay with, um, you know, saying this is from my heritage and using words that aren't in the English language. And I think that's why we're also very, you know, we spent a long time before we settled on the name Arith, but we said actually we do want it to sound um like it is from, you know, some form of heritage and from a culture that isn't, you know, English, um, even though we're all British born. But I think it, it just helps people understand that there's a lot of complexity and it's very deep rooted. And I think that's something that we want with our community, with our customers and with anybody that we engage with. Um, so I think the value system is something that we take a lot of pride in. We've got 16 values and counting maybe more Zineo can confirm because that's something we also um, communicate on our Instagram page so we define what those values are so what does it mean so like you said with ethical and sustainable it means so many different things to different people and we know we can't tick all those boxes but I think as long as we pick one or two and stick to those that's going to have a long-term impact over our lifetime and through everybody we influence in that way. So, um, yeah, just something I wanted to add. So people go, oh, I know I can buy plastic free and I can do that now. But I think we definitely add a deeper level. So people realize that this item was produced somewhere by someone from a plant or however that was. And it helps them understand the process and hopefully helps them connect with and value that product more, which also helps them understand why it's priced a certain way. So I think um, there's all those different barriers that we're trying to help people understand when they do embrace a more eco-conscious life um so one thing we really push is that one small swap so even if it is just having a tote bag or a reusable cup for the rest of your life it will make an impact but you know if you just do that religiously and you're fine and if that helps you and that's all you're able to do 
then do that. I feel like that is one of the hardest things about joining this movement. There are so many different options now available. And as you get deeper and deeper into the ethics of how businesses operate, you start to question everything. But it's very important to remind ourselves that it's small incremental steps that are going to help us achieve the level of impact that we're hoping to see in these communities. And it's great to see marketplaces like Earth create space for that and to amplify businesses that are at the forefront of embodying some of the principles that you've just highlighted. Um, I think the name itself is just so stunning. Like just being able to name a business is one of the hardest parts of building a business. And you've got, you honestly, like the name Earth is just so spot on. So really well done with that. Um, And, and I, I ordered one of your, um, Ramadan and Eid um, boxes um, as a gift for a friend. And I was just really curious to understand how do you um, decide which brands you want to work with? What does a culturally diverse and conscious brand that aligns with arts values and principles looks like? And are you able to share some examples of brands that you have been working with? So I work with the brands that we um, have been onboarding. Um, and when we came to the ethical box, I really wanted to test this out. Um, as much as like we had the theory, um, we've <laughs> written the business plan. Um, we, I really wanted to, us to push something out, a product out, and to see if there was a demand for this kind of product. And um, the brands that we've, I've been speaking to, like every brand I speak to, they, they're all grateful that there's a platform like this, that that there's a platform that are educating our community as well as talking about their stories and highlighting them. So um, when we came to the ethical um, eat box, we wanted to have a product. We wanted to put products in that lived beyond that day of giving, um, not to be just for that day. Here, here's a present, open it, and that's it. No, the, like everything in that box, uh, right down to the tissue paper. <laughs> we spent months um, deciding on how it, um, fitted our values and our ethics um, we wanted to make sure there was nothing in the box that didn't represent us and uh, we wanted to show the best uh, the best of what the brands that we've met so far so one of the best products I would say in the box was actually uh, the chocolate by Anissa and Chocolate um, she's one of the first bean to bar women culturally diverse women um, who started her own brand I think she started about five years ago and um, when I tasted her chocolate um, I was just blown away Um, I've worked with other businesses in the past where I've tasted many ethical chocolates and I have to say that her chocolate is one of the best and I was so surprised that this amazing mom of five was making it in her kitchen and making it to such a high standard she should be selling her chocolate for 100 pounds because her chocolate was so amazing and I was like we have to put her chocolate in all of our boxes we need to get um our community to um say hey there's alternative brands to um the kind of brands that you'd buy from uh, the high street (laughs) and um you don't always have to buy a big box of chocolate something small and uh, when you taste it it makes you full and you understand the story behind it and when we shared her story um a lot of people loved that and um so that was one of the main reasons we put her in there and what we loved is when the brand came back to us and said you know I've got loads of more customers since this I've never I've never been 
able to hit this culturally diverse market. Um, my market is mainly mainstream and um, for her to be able to have access to this um, was great. And um, some of the other items that we put in the box were we wanted to have not just something that you could eat or something that you we wanted to put also something that you can use every day. So we put like the sea cell bag, something that's sustainable. So something that would make you think, hey, let me get rid of some, my plastic in my bathroom. Um, let me start using something that's more sustainable and environmentally friendly. Um, we also put in, I'm trying to think now, <laughs> it's been so long. Um, uh, we also put a lantern in there. So it's, um, so it goes with the whole Eid theme because celebration. Um, and we also put in there the, uh, the teas. We wanted to highlight there are um, ethical brands that um that's affordable because one of the things that I found that when I speak to people they're like oh you know how how do I become ethical how do I live this kind of lifestyle I said just do the simple things first start with teas basic teas just swap out your teas and and it's affordable you can go to the supermarket and now buy fair trade tea and um and it's no longer like it's not even biscuits even chocolates you can buy at Lidl or Asda um so um it's just like changing those small swaps I think people often feel overwhelmed when they when they think of sustainability and eco lifestyle and I always say it's a small if you make those little uh, swaps but keep them sustainable like keep doing them it is going to make a massive impact yeah I think you mentioned something about culturally diverse brands and I think it's just something that people need to I think understand the definition of a little better and knowing that the brand and the business is slightly different so you know the business is the product and the service offering and whether that appeals to a culturally diverse audience is one thing but the brand is very much about the image and the persona and how it communicates that and I think sometimes there's that disconnect so like how Zinia was saying with Anissa because she wasn't communicating her heritage maybe as much and she wasn't showing her face as often, um, she could have been all those different things, but people wouldn't have known because she hadn't communicated that. And I think when we kind of put her at that forefront and championed and showed her story, people was like, wow, she looks like me or, you know, that's so cool. She's a mom or she's a woman and all those different things people relate to, I think really helped with that. And I think just looking at cultural diversity now in, in the marketing sphere Obviously, a couple of things have happened in the last few years where we have seen this boost in visibility for many reasons, but it's knowing the genuineness behind that. So not using it as a marketing tool just to appeal to a wider audience. And you see that through makeup and skincare as well. And in a way, it's great that it has kind of impacted the mainstream um, brands in that way, because a lot of those products will be more accessible from price point to even just access and, you know, a super drug in every high street for example but um it's again going back to what Shanza was saying as well that we want to reclaim that heritage and that narrative that this is our space too and if that's come from my background and something that I innately understand is in my blood literally it's quite nice for people to kind of come out and let that shine and I think um there's always that credibility in seeing that business owner because you know that they understand that on a deeper level than just having studied it or seeing a market trend emerge and jumping on that you know to to make money out of something so these people who have been here before black lives matter or whatever it is that might have propelled this you know increase in buying from and searching for these businesses to support them um and they will be here long after and that struggle doesn't change and i think that's what's 
um, you know, out of something so ugly, there has been positivity. But I think it's just knowing that it's not just that hype and that point when it's done, you know, those things don't go away and you need to continue to do that. And I think it's been nice to see, you know, in even in lockdown during the pandemic, so many home businesses starting, you know, kitchen table businesses, as they say, and there is scope for them to grow if we allow ourselves to continue to shop and support from them instead of going back to what we are used to. And I think that's what ID is about, hoping to continue to find those amazing businesses, supporting them through the community, supporting them through business support as well, and helping them establish and scale. Um, so that's something that I just wanted to add as well, that it's not just about the offering or, um, you know, the kind of visual it's a combination a lot of the time. And I think that's what something we definitely look for when we are working with brands. I just wanted to quickly add to that, that I that I think we were all really impressed and, and happy that a lot of the brands that we were discovering um, were owned by women. And I think that was really um, heartening for us for, for like lots of reasons. One, obviously, that a lot of them were mums and be, and seeing them do all of these amazing things whilst being mothers was really incredible for us. Um, but also because it's just kind of looking at the role of women, that women play in the sustainability movement is a really important one. Um, sort of, you know, pre-industrialization, we, we know that women were at the center of kind of practicing and passing on the sustainability techniques and methods of producing raw materials or different products. Um, and a lot of that knowledge was, you know, lost because of um, industrialization. But now we're actually seeing a lot of women who are skilled differently. Um, in the UK, I guess I'm speaking about right now, um, skilled differently and, and obviously kind of were in very, you know, incredible careers um, who have left to create these businesses um, tapping into that heritage again and combining it with their skills to build and to see to see women again leading at the forefront of climate justice and sustainability and um, best business practice um, was really uh, was really great for us. So I guess that brings me to my question on if art didn't exist, how would one find or discover a culturally diverse brand? or female-led or, you know, um, parent-led or, you know, mother-led um, businesses that are tackling some of these sustainability issues? That's one of the main problems that we're trying to address, which is that it's really hard to find those brands. Um, and if one of the reasons is that a lot of these businesses sell um, via Instagram or sell via kind of their own websites. Um, they're not actually on a lot of the mainstream ethical marketplaces or platforms. Um, and that, and we're not sure exactly why that is, but it just makes them a lot harder to discover. Uh, and, and so one of the main problems we're trying to obviously solve is to bring them to, in one place because Shopping ethically is difficult as it is. <laughs> and I think we all know that the amount of time and research that goes into finding brands um, that, that produce the products according to the values that you want is so difficult that you just want to make it more convenient. You know, you don't, it, it's, you don't want to have to spend hours and hours every time you need to buy something to find the right place to buy it from. Um, and so we're hoping that Arid can just make it easy and accessible, but also more affordable. 
for people because a lot of the culturally diverse brands that we work with obviously reflect um, this reality, which is that the communities that they come from um, in the UK especially may not be able to shop ethically otherwise because the market is so um, can be so pricey. So it prices them out. Uh, and, and, and in addition to that, obviously knowing that shopping ethically is not the only way to live sustainably. Um, and so a lot of the brands that we work with do try to um, provide you with tips on how to be more sustainable uh, with what you have. And I think that's really important as well. And we can get into that later or some other time, but there's so much more you can do aside from also just buying ethically. And that's something we also want to reflect on the platform. I think just adding to that is what Chen was, Chen's was saying, that with um, a lot of the brands that we've discovered, we didn't know were women-owned or you know the backgrounds of these people. And I think um, it's because sometimes it's seen as more professional to not have your face as the brand. People aren't even comfortable being the face of their brand. So it's just not open, you know, or easy to find information for maybe personal reasons or because that's what they assumed would be the right thing to do. But now we're seeing that big, you know, um, spike in knowing that, you know, if you have a personal brand, it can drive your business. Um, and I think it's definitely a confidence thing and also a, sometimes it's self-acceptance, but it's also now knowing that the, the market is ready for that and the market wants that. So I think people are embracing the spotlight and being able to talk about these things and showing up a little bit. And I think having things like Instagram lives and all these things like stories even, it allows you to have that personal um, side of the business and show face and interact with your audience and build that trust and relationship without having to, you know, plaster your face all over your, your grid if you don't want to do that. And I think, um, people probably don't realise that that is one of the driving forces of when people do purchase. So if I know I can buy from an independent, I always buy from an independent coffee shop versus a chain like Starbucks just because I want to support a small business, regardless of who's running that. And I think for a lot of people um, having that, you know, when they're searching, instead of, you know, we normally filter, oh, we want the low price to the high price, but we want the five-star rated product. We want, you know, all these different things we do and then we want it on Prime and all those things that we normally filter by. I think when people see on R that they've got, you can buy women-owned, you can buy conflict-free, you can buy local, you can buy organic and do all of that kind of real um, defining of what it is that you would love to purchase and seeing things pop up. It's that feel-good factor and I think that is quite addictive and you know even if they don't buy often when they do it feels like a treat and that they feel that they've done some good as well and I think that's what's nice is there's the give back aspect um, and a lot of the brands we work with also work with communities abroad so they're already giving back whether it's through donations or through giving um, access to work to those people so I think it's quite nice when you look at the whole supply chain and the journey of that product so I think people really buy into that. And we know that, you know, a narrative and a story and an about page, all of those things make a big difference. Yeah, I mean, just what both of you just described in terms of just building for this market in particular, I imagine it comes with a number of challenges as well. I mean, building a startup is no easy endeavor. And then building something that is so values driven um, and is targeting a niche audience, something that's not been done before, you're serving a market that hasn't been catered to. What are some of the challenges that you've experienced whilst building Earth? And what do the next 12 months look like for the business? 
So in terms of challenges, I think you're spot on. I think um, one of the biggest challenges that we know we're facing and we will continue to face um, is that our community or our communities maybe aren't exactly ready yet to make those swaps um, as soon as they see them for different reasons. Um, and so we know and we knew from the beginning that education would be a, a large part of what we set out to do. And that was fine with us because, as you said, it's it's a business we're trying to build led by our values. Um, and I think one of the values um, within that is this idea of building something that is long term and is sustainable. So it's not about building something really quickly that we think can make money. And so it's an exciting idea. Um, it's about thinking what will our even kind of as long as what will our, our our future generations benefit from? We're just laying the seeds here, right? Like we're we're actually just doing the groundwork. Um, and who knows how long it would take for not just our communities, but us as as humans in general, um, to to switch to a much more sustainable, ethical way of living. Um, but education is part of that, and we need to do that. Um, another challenge that we have faced. Um, is is we know that the businesses that we work with are also in need of a lot of, um, not a lot, but they're in, in need of support. Um, they're in, in need of kind of um, figuring out how to access this space in which they're new because the ethical space itself is quite new, but then they're also culturally diverse. Um, and so that niche space for them uh, is something that we're trying to help them uh, navigate to and that's a big part of the business idea as well in that we don't want to just be a marketplace where they can sell but we also want to create a network for them in which they can support each other um, we can try and give them access to uh, business support but also um, you know helping them innovate in how to be competitive in this space we are supporting the businesses as much as we are pushing them out so there's that kind of constant churn and I think a lot of them are come with knowing that there is a little more work to do before they can consider themselves to have those badges of being, you know, plastic free or eco-friendly and understanding what it means to have those, um, you know, values in their business and actually live through those. And I think Zinnia will do a lot of work with them in helping with them working on their policy and also doing in line with our policy as well. Um, so that's great for, for them to have that structure because a lot of them know they want to aspire for these things and they don't know how to get there. So we will be providing that kind of support, um, you know, as well as things that people often struggle with, like marketing, copywriting, um, photography. There's all these different things that we would love to offer them so they can have those pro uh, professional photos and things like that, helping with, um, yeah, going to redo that bit. <laughs> so all the kind of work that they need on the business, but also as them as entrepreneurs. So a lot of them probably have fallen into it from a hobby or just an interest. And then, you know, you just sell one to a friend and then a family and then a neighbor and then it starts to spiral. So scaling becomes a problem. So um, I think as Shanza was saying a little earlier on as well, it's about why don't we see these businesses long-term or what's happens after that kind of spike is because they don't know how to scale. And I think, um, with a platform like ours, it can be great if that they are discovered and they kind of have this huge overnight success, as they say. But 
Um, they don't want to be overwhelmed with a huge number of orders and not know how to produce that because a lot of these things are handmade or perishable and natural. And then they've also got a supply chain where they will need to bring in quantities of uh, materials and so on. Um, another thing we want to help them to do is through the community, um, be able to kind of play big. So a big business will be able to put in a huge order because they meet the minimum order quantity or they have the extra cash lying around and the cash flow is there. So if we can get our communities to work together, then they can purchase, you know, um, you know, recyclable mailer bags and all these other things that can help them elevate their business and be truly plastic free or, you know, truly recyclable or zero waste. So it's helping them also achieve those goals and, you know, all the wishful stuff that they would love to have, but they just can't afford to. So for now, they are half there because they only can use what is readily available, if that makes sense. So there's lots of other things we would like to do. And also entrepreneurship is very lonely a lot of these as women that we're working with we said are busy busy mums who are working out as they go along don't have all the skills but are getting there somehow so you know having skill swaps or you know sessions where we can help them upskill or access um, a professional network of people and pool in to kind of have them on retainers is something we would really love to um experiment with and um, i'm sure i might get told off because i'm giving away too much but this is something that we think would help these businesses last and grow and scale and inspire others. And that's what we really want um, in the long term. We don't want them to just come and have, you know, a great summer with Ard or through, a, you know, an Eid campaign or a holiday campaign. We want people to then see them as businesses in their own right and purchase their products because they're their favourite skincare brand or they're their favourite um, confectionery brand or they're their favourite, you know, go-to sell brag brand or whatever it might be but to know that there is more choice out there because we are seeing these things happen now in mainstream stores like boots like I was saying to Zinnia like I saw oh my god they have sisal bags and boots what will we do but I mean it's a great thing because you know that also shows that there is demand and they wouldn't stock something like that unless the customers wanted it so it's just nice to kind of shift that power play a little bit and say okay you want that it's great we have them to buy it from so and so um, so there's a large educational piece to the work that you're doing we also do the same at Up Effect and with so many of the brands that we work with that is a um, it's a tremendous effort um, when you are trying to build a business but also trying to educate your marketplace and trying to help them change the way they behave and in terms of um, just getting them to move more towards conscious business practices um, and it's a real challenge and I know some of you are also mums while building this business um, I'm just curious to hear what does your day look like while building earth and juggling so many different hats at the same time so uh, yes working as a mom and running a business it's really I would say it's very very challenging um, I think um, when I was single I you had the time to do as much as you wanted to do but when you have a little person that's constantly um, demanding and asking and you've got them to deal with um, all their all the responsibilities that you have with them and running a business it's um it is challenging but what's been great about art is 
is the fact that I'm meeting other mums that are running businesses, so they're all more understanding. So it's fine if our toddlers are coming in between our our talks in the middle of them, or they want to have a chat with each other. Um, and it's nice that to have that kind of let people have that understanding and that patience. Um, but um, I would say most of the work that these mums that we're working with and myself included and Shanza as well and um, aunties I won't forget Khadija she is an auntie um, that we do most of our work when they go to sleep <laughs> that's when we can do majority of our work it's we do late night owls um, uh, we put uh, I think we put on our a video on our Instagram our daily life routine so we try and do all our chores everything and then it's like work or from nine o'clock onwards to one o'clock in the morning, sometimes we're having meetings uh, in between. Our kids are waking up, crying, putting them back to sleep, coming back, and then <laughs> working on this. Um, but it's fun, and it, and I think it's been amazing that we've met other mums, and it's nice that other mom, even during um like when during Ramadan, it was nice that other mums were up doing their social media, and brands were getting in touch. Oh, you're doing your social media too at this time? Yes. <laughs> Let's. We need to organize our social media before you know the, for the week. Um, so it's um, it's been nice to have that kind of support um, and that understanding. Um, yeah, and you wouldn't get that in other workplaces, and that's been the unique thing about this journey. So I recently had my second uh, Suleiman four months ago, and I think the girls will remember that I was supposed to be on maternity leave, and literally I think a few days after having him, I was on Instagram editing. <laughs> our comments and our um uh descriptions and all that and I think it's just it's so exciting isn't it when you're building something that you really believe in that you and especially as a mom because you're always multitasking anyway like you're a mad multitasker you're like yeah I can do this um I can do it all I can have it all but I think over time I've just learned to be a lot more or I've been forced to become a lot more realistic um with what I can do and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that everything has a time and everything has a place and you just need to figure out your your flow. Um, and I've definitely learned to single task uh, with work because I feel like that's more effective. So as Zinia mentioned, a lot of our meetings happen at night um, after the kids have gone to bed. And it's not ideal because we've gone for hours, but it's how we get work done. And it's, you know, it's, it works for us. Um, but also just discovering like those pockets of time in the day um, like I feel like my brain has just changed the way that it's been wired has just changed so that now I think a lot better on my feet and I take notes on my phone and those moments end up being a lot more productive than sitting at my laptop for hours sometimes um, so yeah it's it, it, it's a it's a nice challenge but it's worth it <laughs> I was just gonna add not being a mum but being very hands-on and helping with the childcare when I can. So we do do a lot of work from Zinnia's house. So we call that our art HQ. She's got a very big, beautiful garden, which you probably see feature in a lot of our art videos. So that's where it's where it's happening. Um, but it helps us get work done because between us, we can play with her son, keep him occupied and then try and get some work done as well. But it also gives us a routine so if I know I'm at her house on a Monday and a Thursday they become our working days so um, it helps us be productive and then in the evening meetings we catch up with Shanza as well and um, telegram voice notes is definitely what keeps us going so a lot of it is just quick notes as you can hear from um, Shanza saying like, you know she might be in the park and she might add to things um, as and when um, definitely cloud-based working is a godsend so it definitely helps with you know all the things that we have on our shared drive so we do work remotely a lot 
Um, and then um, even going back to when we were busy in the Ramadan period. So it's kind of worked out where we are all in our walks of life. So even though Shanza literally just had a baby and she was kind of out of action physically, um, luckily I'm, you know, being quite carefree, was able to go and run to the post office and do those kind of things. So we all managed to kind of do our part when we needed to. So it kind of worked out because I'm sure if I had... Um, a little one as well <laughs> we probably would have to pay someone to come and do all the mail and all the packing and you know it's quite a um hands-on um product we decided to launch and <laughs> we learned a lot from doing it we were very ambitious as Shanza was saying um that we sometimes you have to learn to let go and then just um do your best and a lot of people still appreciated it we still put out something amazing and there's a very um Many late nights in Ramadan, I remember working, um, but lots of good memories from that too. What are your hopes and dreams for art moving forward? So for me personally, um, we all came to I for different reasons. We met over 10 years ago working at an environmental uh, charity and climate activist uh, space. So we always had this love for it. Um, and it's nice to kind of regroup now and do something different with that. Um, especially now at the time where it's perfect for it. Um, for me, it's very much about a legacy. So I do want to see ours kind of, you know, outlive us and, you know, surpass us as people and just be a thing in itself, a movement and something people understand. It would be amazing if we can, we aspire to be a B Corp. So we'd love to get that B Corp status, which is like, you know, the height of excellence in, you know, ethical businesses. Um, and I think that would also be, quite aspirational for our brands as well so if we can do it we want to get our all the brands that we work to to also get to that level and aspire for that and I think we want to see our businesses grow we want to see it become normal we don't want to have to even use terms like culturally diverse brands it should just be a business um, so I think that would be really nice and I think we would have felt we've made a big impact if we can have that mindset shift and that people don't have to think about those things or people always choose to shop by those values as their norm um so i think if we've educated people and got them to do those small shops so uh, if we've educated people and got them to make those make those small swaps um the impact over a lifetime over generations i think that is what we want to see change and i think that starts with us we're all on that journey you know none of us are 100 there and i think us being transparent with our audience, you know, saying, look at this, what we've discovered. Oh, I've tried going plastic through July. I'm doing this. And it makes them see that we're not perfect, but we're all aspiring. And um, we want that community of both customers and businesses to thrive off that and make it more and more accessible with time. I think Khadija summarized it really, really well. Um, I think those are that our hopes, well, my hopes as well. But I think just um, one thing that I would add to that is, is just the community element of what we want to build. And I think um, that maybe when you think of a marketplace, you think about just kind of an e-commerce platform where you would go to find what you need to buy and, and that would just be a transactional relationship you would have with that platform. Um, but traditionally, marketplaces haven't really been like that, right? And, and they've been a, a community space. They've been a space where communities create products together um, they come together to socialize, to learn, to, you know, to share moments. And I think that we want art to be a place like that. We want it to be a place for people who are already on this journey looking for a community, as well as for people who are wanting to embark on this journey 
um, and would love to have that community to make it a lot easier for them um, and just redefine, you know, the way that marketplaces and that e-commerce works. Um, because I think we need to start redefining everything that we've always kind of known to be true because we know a lot of it isn't working. And and to address climate change, address social injustice, we need to reimagine um, different ways of doing things. So we we want to we want to bring people together in in order to enable them and us to do that. I would say uh, one of my my dreams, like uh, Khadija, is definitely I want R to be a B Corp, but mainly I would like R to be a name that people think automatically, like they think of Etsy or they think of um, Amazon. So they think, okay, if I want to buy brands and that are supporting Pacific um, ethical, sustainable brands um, that are doing good, positive businesses, then this is the place I want to go to first. If I want to gift somebody, this is the brand. This is the place I want to go to first. And we also want to make sure that our this where oh we're making our life easier. If I want to be eco, if I want to be more sustainable, then this is the place I go to. Um, and I think that's what we want people to be like we want to aspire to be that brand. Um and as well as that, I think, yeah, like uh, I'm sure the others have said, is leaving a legacy. Um, that is something that the three of us definitely want for we're building odd, um, so that's something where our kids can see that, okay, there are brands out there that are doing amazing work, that our kids can see that, oh, okay, we've made it easy for you. By the time they get to the, in their 20s, that there won't, there'll be other brands like odd. We don't want to be... Um, the only brand out that we want to inspire other brands to do the same and I think the more and more brands that come on board and be and become sustainable it'll become the norm it won't be um, something that's so special it'll just be a part of our daily lifestyle um, and yeah and the main th- and the other thing is as long as you know we're educating people and we've made those impacts and we see those impacts in 10 years time I think that for us will be a massive achievement. I feel like we could continue this conversation for several hours. There's so much to unpack, but I would love to end it on that particular note, because if we're not building something that makes the world a better place, I know that sounds very cheesy and cliche, but creating something better for our future generations, then what is the point of any of this? And It's just really incredible to see the work that each of you are engaged in. And I'm really excited to see the future of art and what comes off the work and efforts and energy you're each investing into building something incredibly beautiful that we really, really need to see exist within the sustainability movement, but also just generally in how we do um, trade and how we purchase products, um, in particular with regards to purchasing from culturally diverse brands so thank you so much for building um a space for this thank you for creating art and um would love to stay in touch and hopefully um have you all on a future episode to hear how things are going i would love to just hear um how can our listeners connect with art and connect with each of you and get involved with the work that you're doing in terms of connecting with us i think the main um presence we have right now is on Instagram so you can find us at ard.shop in terms of getting involved or getting connected further feel free to drop us an email Um, we we're really good at responding to emails 
So uh, we are there, but also we've recently started a clubhouse, uh, which we're really excited about. So you, if you want to join our midnight ramblings, um, please feel free to do so there. Um, we we want to keep it really casual. We want it to be a space for everybody. Um, so we're just going to be having fun there, really. Uh, and we're also on TikTok. Um, if you are a TikToker, then you can find us there as well. Uh, and I think I think that's it. I think I've covered it. We will be launching the platform soon. So you can keep posted on that through the Instagram page. And once that's up, obviously, um, you can connect with us there as well. Really grateful to re-envision business with all of you. We'll be back on the first Wednesday of every month with a new episode. To ensure you don't miss out, please subscribe to Reinvision Business on your favorite podcasting platform, whether that is Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or something else. If you've enjoyed our episode, please leave us a five-star review so that others can learn about Reinvision Business. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram or Twitter with the handle UpEffect for updates on the next episode. Until next month.